I'm going to be reading Matthew 1, verses 1 to 17. Please have mercy on my pronunciations. <laughs> this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Abinadab, Abinadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Aachim. Aachim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eliezer. Eliezer, the father of Matan. Matan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile of Babylon, and 14 from exile to Messiah. Good morning. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm also one of the pastors on staff here at St. Clair. And it's good to have you with us. I don't know if you knew this, but today is the winter solstice, which makes it the shortest day of the year, the smallest amount of sunlight that we get. So this tease of morning light won't last much longer for us come January. Uh, and I, I, there's different ways that I sort of notice how short the days are getting. Our house faces west, and in this, a good long summer day, the sun's setting right in front of us. But I noticed last night, the sun was setting like way over here. And you just, I don't know, some of you know this reality already, that you're going to work in the dark, and you're coming home from work in the dark, and you, you feel sort of the, maybe the tightening or constricting of, of, a, of a dark season. And so for that, uh, I just... Before we look at our text together, I want to offer a prayer. It comes from the Celtic Book of Daily Prayer, and it is a prayer at the shortest day. From the rising of the midwinter sun to its setting, scatter the darkness with the light of your love, O shining one. Make me short on mean thoughts, long on offering words of comfort. Make me short 
on being driven, long on paying attention. Make me short on focusing only on my own, long on looking beyond. Make me short on obsessive lists, long on spontaneous acts of kindness. Make me short on mindless activity, long on time to reflect. Make me short on tradition as habit, long on rediscovery and reowning. Make me short on rushing and tiring, long on walking and wandering. Make me short on false festive jolidity, long on stilling and rooted joy. Make me short on guilt, long on being merciful to myself. Make me short on being overwhelmed, long on peaceableness as I set forth this day. Amen. Well, I mean, not only can the short, dark days of winter remind us that winter can be a long, hard season for some of us. And so we shouldn't then sort of be quick to assume that Christmas is nostalgic and warm and easy for all of us. But as we were already giving space to, Christmas season may come with difficulty and bring about unavoidable realities in our lives. Christmas is wonderful and joyful for some and tiring, and maybe even deeply painful for others. And it is in both that we're longing to encounter the presence of Christ. Let me offer you Thomas Merton. He, he conveys really well the sort of seriousness of the hope and longing of Advent. He says, it is important to remember the deep and in some ways anguished seriousness of Advent. When the mendacious celebrations, it's a real word, I checked the dictionary, I just don't know how to say it. (laughs) Celebrations of our marketing culture so easily harmonize with our tendency to regard Christmas, consciously or otherwise, as a return to our own innocence and our own infancy. But the church... In preparing us for the birth of a great prophet, a savior, and a king of peace, has more in mind than seasonal cheer. The Advent mystery focuses the light of faith upon the very meaning of life, of history, of man, of the world, and of our own being. In Advent, we celebrate the coming and indeed the presence of Christ in our world. I hope that comes as a good word for us this morning. We've spent Advent talking about the significance of hospitality, of welcoming the stranger, where we see, where we see it at play in the birth narrative of Jesus and why that is important to us right now. But what about learning to be hospitable, not to the stranger, but to the people that, that we know? Not only that, but making home with the people that we've shared home with, with our own family? What about the unpleasant reality of learning to be a gracious, generous, present 
with those closest to us, the ones who might actually be the hardest ones to love. And for that, I offer you the genealogy of Jesus. You're like, oh, of course. We're done. Say no more, Dave. It makes total sense. (laughs) Hopefully, I can explain this in a helpful way. Believe it or not, I can actually remember the first time that I read those opening verses in the Gospel of Matthew, and it made sense to me, or at least I think I understood it in part. I think I was in my early 20s, and it's actually quite vivid for me, and I don't know how often that's the case, that I can sort of remember some of these specific moments of engaging with Scripture. But I was, I think in my early 20s, in bed, reading the genealogy before I went to bed. I'm not sure why. Maybe I was trying to put myself to sleep. I I don't know. But the dots started to connect for me because I I was familiar enough with some of the names that were being listed, and then I realized the significance and even the consequence of what was being named in the book of Matthew, and it it actually blew me away in a way that it just, it, it kept me up at night. I was just awestruck that God would work his plan out in this way. And there were, there were sort of two things that grabbed me. One was just the fact that for me in that moment, Scripture felt like it was speaking. It wasn't just static words on a page, but it actually, that was one of those moments where it felt like it was God's active voice in my life. And the second, and this is what I just couldn't get my head around, is that reading the genealogy, in that moment, I actually just felt like, this is way too good to be true. There was something about the goodness of God that just sort of kept me in disbelief. And I was just sort of awestruck that God would carry out his plan of salvation through some broken people. So let's, let's take a closer look at it. The genealogy of Jesus, it's his pedigree, it's his family tree. I Ancestry.com was not required. It's very clearly listed out. We know where Jesus came from. This is a big deal in the story of God's people. There's a big buildup to this moment. Uh, And as we've been going through the story of the Old Testament, you perhaps recognize some of the names that are listed in the family of Jesus. It's, It's kind of like a roll call of famous people in Scripture. And typically... In scripture, there's a lot of these genealogies. Usually it's listing out the list of the names of men in the lineage of of people's families, in this case, Jesus. Except you may have noticed that in this lineage in Matthew, he names four women as part of the family tree of Jesus. And when you look at those four women, they are telling a story that is that is, I think, a part of the beauty of of what is being put on display here. Tamar, if you know the story, she was wrapped up in an incredibly sleazy situation. Like so much so that it's it's like 100% not PG, and I won't even get into the details of it. You can read it for yourself if you're very curious. Rahab was a prostitute who helped rescue two Israelites. Ruth was a Moabite, She wasn't a Jew. They traditionally worshipped other gods. And then it says there was Uriah's wife. It won't even name Bathsheba, 
because it's such a stark reminder of the infidelity of David in the family of Jesus. These women who are listed, this is not an indictment against these women. They actually were found faithful in these terrible situations that they were put into. And in some cases, their track record is better than some of the men in this family tree. In Hebrews, Rahab is listed out as one of the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11. The genealogy of Jesus is a clear reminder that God came into this world not through pure, a pure and perfect way of the way, maybe the way that things should be, but Jesus came into this world through a broken and messy reality to just the way that the world actually is. And that was by design. So here's the thing. As I read this as a young man, Perhaps I'm still in that category of life. I don't know. I read it, and and what grabbed me was that I was plagued by a sense of guilt and shame over regret of decisions that were happening in my life. And I often worried, am I disqualifying myself from God's perfect plan for my life? Am Am I digging a ditch that I cannot get out of? And the good news for me was that God had not disqualified me because of my past. And I wonder if for some of us, when we look at the hand that we've been dealt with our families, or perhaps the situations that we are responsible for within our families, we may be quick to assume that we too are disqualified and that somehow we are going to miss out on God's best. But if you live in the existence of a broken family, you are in good company, for that is the family that Jesus chose. He had a choice in this. That's how he decided to orchestrate his entrance into the world, is through a broken family. He comes to bring us a redemptive hope. I was reading uh, a week or two ago on a website that I think many of us would be familiar with, and it was offering a guide of how to do Christmas with your family. But it, it read maybe a little bit more like a survival guide of how to manage family gatherings. <laughs> And there was, there were some uh, instructions or offerings that it was giving that, that struck me. Uh, essentially, well, th- I'll quote you some of what it was saying. It was saying, if no one's going to take care of you, take care of yourself. It was kind of like, this is how you need to come at Christmas this year in order to survive. It said, if you now are the one hosting family gatherings, know that it's your house, so it's your rules. You get to be in control. Prioritize, be our guest more than we are family so that you can be in control of the different situations that might come up. If caught in unwanted conversations, it's, it was offering to say, feel free to start up a rude side conversation to avoid the bigger talk that might be going on. 
It clarifies to say, small talk can be annoying, but do you really want to have big talk with some of these people? (laughs) Which are family? (laughs) Said, if obligated to be somewhere else, not your own home, don't worry, you'll return home to the real home you built for yourself. I'm pretty sure this is not the vision of hospitality that Jesus has living into the way of the kingdom. It sounds much more hostile than hospitable to me. It almost reads, I think, maybe like a self-defense guide of how to get out of difficult things, especially with your family. So how do we navigate being a warm and welcoming presence with our own family at Christmas, especially if relationships in our family are a real source of angst, of frustration, of disappointment, hurt, pain, regret, grief. You could probably fill out that list. So very simply, I'm going to offer three things, three things to kind of hold on to as maybe a way of modeling the way of Jesus within our families this Christmas. This list, this could and and perhaps should be much longer, but for some of us, I think with the situations that we face, it may actually require all of our best effort and all of our best prayers just to try to do one of these well. I don't want to underestimate some of the difficulties that we walk into. But very simply, here are three. And, and my offering is prayer, peace, and serve. I'll explain those. Why, why would prayer be of essential importance at Christmas? We often talk about prayer and the practice of the presence of God that we learn to do that through silence and solitude. And I think finding the places of silence and solitude with Jesus will be an anchoring point that we need to be deeply rooted when we're with family this Christmas. With a flurry of kids and activity or a schedule for the day that that maybe is dictated for you, you will likely have to be creative and brave to carve out space to be with Jesus. It may mean getting up earlier or finding a good reason to go for a walk. Or it might not land on your lap, but you may have to to create that space to ensure that you know the voice of the one who calls you beloved. It's so critical because when the predictable comments come, maybe a sibling who's who's making a passing comment about how much or how little food you're eating, or grandparents that are trying to decide what your life should be post-school, or maybe in-laws that are passing judgment on your parenting habits. To know and hold fast to God's nearness as an anchoring point will keep us from easily being tossed back and forth from just reacting to everything that happens around us. Perhaps the simplicity of time alone with Jesus is enough to give us good ground to stand on when everything else feels shaky with our family. 
peace. Let me read you Romans 12, 18. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I actually like how many qualifiers are being put on this. Saying, if, if it's possible, and if you think you can do it, do it. But the charge, the responsibility is still given. It's, it's there. Live at peace with everyone. We have an essential part to play on that. It's not ex- asking or expecting that you solve every crisis or conflict within your family. And if we were to zoom out and look at some of the verses before and after this in Romans that that Paul is speaking, the verses before remind us to bless those who oppose us. And the verses after say, do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. And so maybe this Christmas, it means to do everything we know how not to snap back at a brother's jerkish comment, or to assume the best and not the worst of dad's new girlfriend that's joining the family gathering, or to let go of the compulsion to always be right and to make sure your son or your daughter knows that you still have the final say, to know your actions of seeking peace, may actually speak louder than your words. And to serve. So when I go home for Christmas, I'll be arriving to a home that I grew up in, that my parents have been in for almost 35 years now. And for me, going home and being with my family is is really rich. And in many ways, is very easy. And it is also very familiar When I go in the door, I recognize everything because things don't drastically change from the the last time I was there. Things feel familiar and safe. And I've noticed there is a temptation for me, especially with family, to just see the world as evolving around me. And things, when they're so familiar, you kind of maybe revert into old habits. And you just assume that things will just kind of work the way they always have. I don't have any place in my life that I desire a jam sandwich except for when I'm at home. And somehow I instantly crave it. I'm like, I long for a jam sandwich because it's, there's something attached to, to home and, and I grew up on that, that I just kind of revert back into old things that perhaps have very little consequence, or maybe they do have some consequence. Because the, the comforts that I think that we find in our homes, and maybe the hesitation to live or to see outside of that, is that we really actually just don't want something to disrupt or interrupt our own little safe haven that we've kind of built for ourselves, And so maybe this Christmas may also be an opportunity to establish a kind of new normal. To be quick to help your mom with dishes, to go 
out of your way to take an interest in your aunt's life, to ask your spouse how you can be of help to them. Essentially, to have the posture of just giving your life away, as Jesus did for us, and applying that to the most familiar place that you know, and seeing that through new eyes. That the maturity and the way and the life of Jesus is, is the move from I, me, mine to we, us, our. You're not seeing everything as far as it depends on you. You're seeing things as it is putting others before yourself. Let me read from Philippians 2. It is, I would argue, and others do as well, it's one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture. It's actually verses that we've been dwelling on as a staff team in the recent while. And it probably will do the work of making very clear for us the necessity of serving others. So maybe it's familiar, but let me read for us from Philippians 2. Instruction says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility... Value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used on his own, to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So, as we prepare to take communion together, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, uh, a someone who's written beautiful stuff in church history, talks about how there's, there's a sort of a movement of three advents that takes place. There is Christ entering into the world, becoming God and man, living amongst us, walking full of grace and truth. There is the advent of Christ coming and being with us here and now. And then there is the coming again, the redemptive hope that God will make all things well and that Jesus will be with us again. And they're, they're all sort of simultaneous realities. And maybe our time with family over the coming days, we need to cling to the hope of sort of that middle advent, that we need the hope of Jesus to come here and now with those closest in our life, Perhaps not those who feel close in our life, but whom we share an inseparable bond with. And the reality is they're not going anywhere. The invitation is for us to bring a redemptive hope to the places, to the homes we find ourselves in this Christmas, and to be able to say, come, Lord Jesus. And a benediction 
a blessing as we go. The last words in the Old Testament are in the book of Malachi. And they say that God will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And then they had to wait 400 years for a hint of that hope of Jesus coming near. Some of us are living in that waiting and in that tension to not know when that kingdom vision of a family being reconciled and renewed will be made real. Some of us won't even see family this Christmas and don't have a place to call home. But wherever you find yourself, may you know Jesus as your friend and may you carry, may you be the fragrance of Christ amongst your family. Go in peace.